This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. How you doing? It's so good to be with you. We're starting our Christmas series today. And as you just saw, we were announcing that um, we have Christmas Eve services coming up. Uh, they'll be the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, all kind of different times. The first ones are in the evening, 22nd's on a Sunday, so that'll be in the morning. The services will be here. Uh, the tickets are live today, so I, I just want you to, if you can, if you're planning on being there, go ahead and get your tickets uh, because we know based on attendance patterns in the past, we're kind of on the cusp of needing to add a service, and so that'll help us know kind of where our capacity is and help us get ready for you. So the link is right there. It's live. Now, this series that we're going to be in, um, The Woman, the Dragon, and the Baby, it is going to be a little heavy for some of this. So I did decide in the wake of my good friend that was here a couple weeks ago, Josh, to tell some uh, dad jokes as we open these. Uh, just, just to have a little fun, okay? So we're gonna gonna tell some dad jokes and then we'll get into it. What What do you do if you have an angry snowman to calm him down? Anybody know? You tell him to take a chill pill. You get it? It's a snowman. They're chilly. What's the snowman's favorite breakfast food? Anybody know that? It's frosted flakes. Frosted flakes. I don't know if you know this, but you can actually send somebody snow for Christmas. I did that with a friend last year. Sent him a giant box of snow. He sent me a text and said, hey, man, what's this? And I said, did you get my drift? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> the text uh, for this series is going to come out of the revelation of the Apostle John. It is the New Testament prophetic book. If you're not familiar with the organization of the Bible, both the New Testament and the Old Testament end with what are called prophetic books. And so we're a little familiar with that as a church because we've spent a good bit of time studying the minor prophets, which are, these are smaller books towards the end of the Old Testament. They're prophetic. And so in that, there's a sense of imagery and trying to communicate through words what God has shown someone else. John's revelation, this is the Apostle John, gives us a window-like prophetic glimpses into things that have happened and things that will happen in the future, being the lone prophetic book in the New Testament. It's kind of like, have you ever been on a plane and you're next to the window and you're reading a book and you read for a little bit, then you look up and you see something out the window and then you kind of keep reading and you look up and you see something else. It, it's kind of like that's what John is experiencing. He, he's been exiled. They attempted to kill him. He's been exiled to the Isle of Patmos. And while he's been exiled, he's having these visions and encounters with the Lord and he recounts them through what we now call the book of Revelation. So we're going to be specifically camping out in one specific passage, one specific vision that God gives John over something that has already happened. Newsflash, it's Christmas, okay? And so what I want you to do is, would you stand as we read through the Word of God? We're going to begin in Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. 
A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God into its throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask that as we look into your word over the next few weeks that you would bring clarity where there is confusion, hope where there is doubt, And God, that you would release a move of your spirit within us to bring freedom, wholeness, and healing in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Touch your neighbor and say, this is getting weird. Now touch them back and say, it's only going to get worse. As you can see, there are three main characters in the text that we just read. The woman, the dragon, and the baby. This is a very original title for a series just to be upfront, not very creative, very direct. (laughs) Today, we're going to look at specifically the first one, the woman. And I want to just say this up front. The woman represents Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the Mary who, as a young woman, is betrothed to Joseph, a very devout Jew who says yes to an angel's invitation and surrenders to the work of God in her life. As a young woman, many scholars believe probably around 16, she's overcome with the Holy Spirit. And even though she's a virgin, she is found to be with child. She carries this child until it's given birth to. And this child is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to address up front just a perception of Mary that in theology we call it Marianism. This is the elevation of Mary to somebody that you might pray to or, or, or believe in. And even so much in the last maybe 25 years, there have been uh, church leaders that have asserted that Mary should be considered co-redeemer with Christ. It's not at all who she was or who she is in the story. As a matter of fact, Mary's role in the story of Christmas is the addition of Jesus' humanity. She represents man. In Orthodox theology, we believe that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. And in that consummation of the Holy Spirit and Mary, All Mary is contributing is her humanity. That's it. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, Mary was somebody who was surrendered to God, who was used by God in a powerful way. She becomes the Mary who would feed and clothe and take care of literally the Messiah as he being fully man developed and grew in that fragile state of childhood 
but she was merely a human. As this little passage begins, we we see that Mary is referenced with her, her feet on the moon as a step stool with the 12 crowns of the sun in her. It's it's really the statement of her humanity. The feet on the moon represent that man is in a sphere of influence where we have dominion. Even scientists would say that humanity is the dominant species that we know of in our solar system. And the 12 jewels are things in her crown. This is just simply the 12 tribes of Israel. And what this represents is that when Mary's presented to us in Revelation chapter 12, she is one of us being a human and she's of the family of God. Out of the 12 tribes. She just represents humanity. So I thought it would be really helpful to just ask a question. What does it mean to be human? What, is it, what does it even mean to be a man? I'm going to give you four things today. These will be in your notes. Number one, what does it mean to be human? It means you are loved by God. Charles Spurgeon famously quoted, What is it in the heart of man that both God and the devil so fight for his heart? You are loved more than you could ever understand. God passionately loves you, but that's not just personal. God does love you, but God loves everyone, which means that if you're the raging Republican who can't stand Democrats, you need to know that God loves Democrats as much as he loves you. If you're the raging racist, you need to know that God loves every person that you hate as much as he loves you. This means for every human who ever existed, even the worst of us, the Joseph Comey, Benito Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, God loved everyone. We cannot understand the love of God without understanding God's love for other people. It is personal in its nature, but it is not simply left to me. Think about this super famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That God loves who? We personalize this and say, it's me, but that's not what the text says. The text says the world, that God gave his son for everyone. Can I just say this? This is why we invite people to come to church with us. Today, you're going to get an invitation, a group of those. These are a little different because it actually gives you space on the back to fill it out and say, meet me at this campus on this day at this time. I need you to hear, we don't invite people to come to church with us because we need bigger crowds. Because we need more money. We invite people to come to church with us because God loves everyone. And there are people in your life 
that aren't in church and they're not being loved by God. They don't have a loving relationship with their creator. And we invite them to come to church so that they can encounter their creator, be reconciled to him and actually experience his love. You are loved by God. What does it mean to be human? You are loved by God. But number two, you are created by God. You are created by God. God made you. Think about that. God made you. Everything about you, God made. How tall you are, how short you are. What you talk like, what you sound like, what your hair color is, or what should be if you weren't getting it dyed. How fast you run, or if you're me, how slow you run. God made everything about you. God made it that way. And I want to make two simple observations about how God made us. This is so helpful for me to know. The first one is that God made us all alike. That's why we need each other. Here's what we know just from really the discovery of DNA, the study of the human genome. We know that every human being is 99.9% the same. Absolutely the same. Your DNA, my DNA, pick a random guy in Africa, random guy in Asia, 99.9% the same. And here's the lie that many of you live with. My struggle is so unique to me. I'm the only one who feels this way. I'm the only one who feels like I'm not enough. I'm the only one who feels like I'm alone. I'm the only one who feels like I'll never make it. I'm the only one struggling with anxiety. I'm the only one struggling with depression. No, you're not. I mean, our, our problems are quite common. That's why we need people. That's why we need community, because you're going to get around somebody, and in vulnerability, you're going to say, hey, we're struggling in our marriage. They're going to say, listen, we were too, just a few months ago. I'm, I'm struggling with, with some depressive thoughts. Well, you want to know what? I've been through seasons of depression. You get around some people, and you find some, not just commonality, but you find some help. They've been through something and can help you, and then you've been through, through something, and you can help them. God made us all like, that's why we need each other. But there's another part of that coin. It's kind of the other side of it. God made us all unique. That's why we need a relationship with our creator. That 0.1% matters. I mean, there's a big difference in that 0.1%. You have unique gifts and talents and skills and purpose. And I need you to hear this because this, this is something... That, that I think that in our day and age, we miss this. Only the creator can define the creation. How absurdly arrogant would it be if we believe in a higher power that's created us for me as a created being to get before God and say, this is who I am. No. He's creator. And as creator, he defines his creation. Psalm 139, this is David praying, but it is true of every one of us. You created my inmost being. 
I mean, which means all the way to the inner parts of me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I mean, God, when he was making you inside your mother, this may be why the Christmas story is so accessible. It is a woman giving birth to a child. It's the most common experience in humanity. Every one of us came into the world the same way. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you, and he doesn't make mistakes. Don't hear me? He doesn't make mistakes. And for some of us, we need to get our feelings in line with what we know about God as creator. Because we look at God and we say, God, I wish you had made me this way. I wish I was smarter. I wish my, my mind worked quicker. I, I wish that I, I knew, the, I wish I was, instead of just saying, God, this is who I am, you made me this way. Help me to be the absolute best version of what you made. Fully myself. What does it mean to be human? You are loved by God, number two. You were created by God. Number three, your life was broken by sin. Shattered by it. Your life was absolutely destroyed by sin. All the way back to the garden where Adam and Eve rebel against the directives of God and choose to, when sin entered the world, death entered with it. From the very beginning, what God created good, Satan has counterfeited, and the fallout from that is death. This is why we need Christmas. This is why the Christmas story is so amazing. This Christmas, why don't you just get in front of God and say, God, I know that you're the God who comes to us. Here are the areas in my life that I need you to come to me. I'm struggling emotionally. I'm struggling with my kids. God, would you show up in this season? We need you. My life has been broken. It's so simply seen in Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, that gift of his son, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Sin earned death, but God, through his son Jesus, bought us a way out. You were loved by God. You were created by God, but sin ruined your life. And lastly, number four, I need you to see this. Your life is created by choices. Now, I intentionally here do not say your choices. Because some of us have lived in the benefit of of choices that were made for us. Some of us grew in a home, grew up in a home where education was valued and we we did well because we were supposed to do well and we went to college because we were supposed to do college and we're living in that benefit in the later years of our life. But in the same way that that can be a benefit, it can also be a liability for some of us. There were decisions that were made for you when you were a child that were abusive and neglectful. And now you live in the negative consequences of those decisions that were made. Please hear what I'm about to say. We don't get to decide what happens to us. But we do get to choose what we do with it. God in his love gifted us 
with agency, the ability to choose or reject him. You want to say, why would God... When he, create, when he created, why would God actually create this in such a way that I could look into his heart and say, no, I don't want that? Because there's no love without choice. There's no love without choice. And God wants a loving relationship with you and with me. A choice, as a matter of fact, is really the narrative of the gospel go all the way back it's Adam and Eve that choose to reject God's direction and choose to eat from the fruit it's Moses who chooses to execute to kill an Egyptian slave then chooses to run away and then chooses when he's confronted by God in the burning bush to go back to deliver his people it's David who chose to stand up to Goliath when nobody else would but then chose to surrender himself to Bathsheba. But when confronted by Nathan the prophet for his sin, chose to repent and turn back to God. It's the disciples who with the invitation of come follow me, surrendered their lives to following Jesus and chose to follow him. I can say that the quality of your choices will determine the quality of your life. That is your agency, your issue. And today, I think that just simply in the things that we saw in what it means to be human, we can see a few decisions that we probably need to make for ourselves. Some of these might be an altered perspective. There might actually be some stuff that we need to do. So I'm going to walk through three statements that lead to that as we wrap this up. Number one. God created you on purpose for a purpose, but your enemy has a plot to take you out. God created you for sure on purpose. There's no mistakes for a purpose, but you have an enemy. And that enemy is plotting to steal every good gift that God intends to give you. Next week, you read the story. We're going to focus on the dragon. This enemy that is tempting us in life instead of living surrendered to God to live for ourselves, to make everything about me. Think about what I just said earlier. God created you on purpose for a purpose. God created you on purpose for a purpose. If we really believe that, if we really believe that God made us, that God had purpose and intentionality in making me, then we have to make the choice to accept the purpose that comes with how he made me. Because you'll never be fully yourself living for yourself. God didn't make you for you. God made you for something bigger than yourself. As a matter of fact, he defines this at the end of Matthew 28. This is the purpose for every human being that's ever lived. We call it the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's three big things there. Number one is go. Get out of your comfort zone. Get in relationships. Be around people. Number two, baptizing them. That's actually we are supposed to in life. 
be moving people in our life towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the second thing is teaching, or the third is teaching them to obey, which means that I should be a part of mentoring and discipling and helping people grow. God has a purpose for your life. How arrogant would it be for me to sit in front of God and say, no, you want to know what, God? I have a different purpose for myself. He made you. He designed you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he had a purpose for it. And ultimately, you were created by God to serve his purposes. How arrogant would it be for us to look into the heart of God and say, no, God, you're here to serve mine. No. If you're too big to serve the purposes of God, please hear me out. You are much too small for a lot of really good blessings that God wants to give you. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And we need to choose to receive and live in that purpose. Number two, you'll never be fully yourself until you're loved by God and respond by loving Him. You'll never be the person that God created you to be until you have experienced the love of God and out of receiving the love of God, you can give the love of God to others. You are made by God for that. God created you as an object of affection. He wants a loving relationship. Just for a few months, we've been talking about God as source. So I want you to see this today. Until God is the source of your love, you'll never be able to give authentic love. As hard as you try, until you are connected to the love of God. You can try to love your wife. You can try to love your kids. You can try to love your friends. But you'll never have anything except some fake knockoff compared to the real, authentic love we were designed to give. Only when we have been loved and received the love of God. And God shows us in His Word what this love looks like. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't deserve it, when we hadn't earned it, God showed up on our behalf. But please notice that phrase demonstrates his own love. What God is saying, listen, I put my love on display. It's not just words or sentiment. I actually show you that I love you by what I do for you. Love is a choice. It's a choice. God has went all in. I mean, all the chips in to love you. Sit his son, bore your sins, made a way for you to live in relationship with him simply because he wants to love you. The real question is, like, are we living in that? Because if you're not, you don't have love to give. Then number three, you'll never be fully you until you're fully surrendered to Jesus. Never be fully yourself. And we have a lot of advice in our culture these days about who we are and how we're supposed to be, but please listen to me. Every other version 
of who you are that's not fully surrendered to Jesus Christ is an absolute fraud. It's fake. It's a complete and total knockoff. You were created and you are loved. And in all that, God has intentionality for who you're supposed to be. See, we use this phrase, our best life. Your best life possible will be a life that's fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's the best life. So if you're an older Christian in the room, I need you to hear me. We still have stuff to surrender. Some of y'all know that. (laughs) You've been following God for longer than I've been alive, then you know, hey, I've been saying no to God. I know he wants me to let go of that. It, it might be that you need to actually start serving. You need to start leveraging the talents that you have towards the kingdom of God. It might mean that you need to start giving. I don't know what it is. If you're a growing Christian, I just want to say this today. Growing in Christ is a process of surrender. We, we don't often think of it that way, but that's exactly what it is. I mean, we come to God in the very beginning and we surrender. God, here's my life. I need you to be my Lord. But then there's moment after moment. It seems like it's every day, all day. I need to surrender. God, I need to surrender my kids. I'm stressed out. They're worrying me. I surrender. I need to surrender my finances. I'm worried about money again. I need to surrender my emotions. God, I need to surrender my marriage. We just have to. It's a continual process of surrender. And if you're not a Christ follower yet, that's where it starts. That verse out of Romans 6 that we read, I left off a little point on purpose. It says, the wages of sin is death. Which means sin in our life earned death, eternal death, not just right now, but it'll earn death in our relationships, in our finances, all those other areas. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord our Lord, which means I've surrendered my life to Jesus. He's the one who's calling the shots. He's the one who's giving the direction. What kind of surrender do you need today? Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.